back to another edition of the Standard Room Only podcast. Ben Standick here. I cover the Washington football team for The Athletic, and I'm the host of this here podcast, which you can find on iTunes, Spotify, all the places you usually do your podcasting, and you can find my work on The Athletic. Happy New Year to everybody. I hope you guys are doing all right. We have a lot to get into today. Obviously, huge week for the Washington football team. Sunday at Philadelphia, win the game. They win the NFC East title, make the playoffs for the first time since 2015. That's plenty to discuss, and I'm going to do that with two great guests today. Uh, My colleague, Zach Berman, who covers the Eagles uh, for The Athletic, and Sam Fortier with The Washington Post. We'll get into a bunch of that and some of the other news of this week. Now, look, there's a couple big stories going on, obviously. One, there's more happening with the Dan Snyder's. Uh, ownership situation, his fight with these uh, minority partners, limited partners. You can go read that on The Athletic. Uh, our business writer, Dan Kaplan, put up a new story about that today that involves some of that John Moog uh, text, uh, the very uh, sort of threatening, interesting, uh, teasing text that he sent to Dan Snyder that I talked about last week with Liz Clark. Dan Kaplan gets into what's going on with that text and Snyder's reaction to it. So you can read that on The Athletic. And of course, there's the release of Dwayne Haskins. That happened on Monday. I'm talking to you guys on Tuesday. (laughs) What a two-year run here for Dwayne Haskins. Obviously, incredibly disappointing for all involved. Uh, The 15th pick in the 2019 draft is out before the two-year, you know, way before the two-year anniversary of that moment, which was essentially the highlight of the, the, the Dwayne Haskins time in Washington, I think would be fair to say. And even that moment was fraught because of the fact that not everybody in the organization was wanting Washington to make that selection. I'll get into that in a second. Look, it's been clear to anybody who's been paying attention, if you've been listening to this podcast, reading my work, listening to others, we're just keeping your keeping your head out of the sand that Dwayne Haskins was not a long-term part of this situation. This is why last week I said I didn't have an issue with Ron Rivera effectively using him going into that Carolina game, which Haskins was dismal in, grant you. But if Ron Rivera thought he was the best chance for them that game over two players, meaning Taylor Heineke or Steven Montez, uh, who had no we had really no, no, no real sense what those guys could do because they have not played football this year. Montez had never played in the NFL. If Rivera thought that was the best way to go, I had no issue with it because this was not about keep uh, giving somebody a pass who would be here long-term and therefore be a long-term example that you could point to and say, aha, see Ron Rivera, he talks one, he talks a good game about culture change, but then he does, you know, he doesn't do it when it, when it, when it matters to big names. Haskins was gone. Maybe he waited a week, a week longer than some people wanted. Again, for the, for, for what he did with the parting without a mask and all that players don't typically get, waived for that he was players aren't even getting suspended for these COVID violations which is a a very serious thing I I take COVID uh, precautions seriously I hope you guys do as well with masks and everything but it's not something that players are getting waived for this (laughs) Ron Rivera waived Dwayne Haskins though this week because it was enough because the quarterback was incredibly disappointing out there against Carolina and looked like somebody who wasn't I won't say he didn't want to be there but he looked incredibly uncomfortable one of the questions I asked Ron Rivera on Monday when he spoke with reporters prior to the release was what gave you what based on practice or whatever else, what gave you the belief that Dwayne Haskins 
mentally was ready to go because based on what we saw in the game and what happened post game that I talked about with Grant Paulson after the game, it just didn't look, it, it, it didn't seem like a guy who was, who was ready to go. And at the end of the day, that's kind of what it's felt like with most of Dwayne Haskins career. When you listen to what people have said, when you talk to people uh, on the previous coaching staff, you know, who've been around the team this year, He's a smart kid. He's a nice kid. He's a good kid. I don't think anybody has anything bad to say about him as like a person. But in terms of preparing to understand what it takes to be an NFL quarterback, he never came close to grasping that. And I think ultimately, to me, at the end of the day, that's what Rivera found to be the biggest sin. Not necessarily struggles with reading defenses, though obviously that was part of it. If you watch that game against Carolina, there were there were receivers open that Haskins struggled to find and just looked awkward out there running the offense. Um, I think ultimately at the end of the day, Ron Rivera was just like, look, if we have to play a game on Sunday without Alex Smith, which is still to be determined, but there's maybe some more sense of optimism that that calf will be ready to go after more rest that based on Taylor Heineke coming in and, you know, looking good in that performance, I got into this with Sam in a bit that good. Like we're saying, Oh, they just discovered their new starting quarterback. It's to say, the offense looked functional, and this is part of what Ron Rivera has tried to find in this offense when he benched Haskins the first time. It was enough. And if you're going to make him the third string, I think he just decided there's no reason we need to sort of keep this charade going any longer. We're going to move on and hope for the best and see what happens. Uh, we wish Dwayne Haskins the best as a person, but in terms of the NFL quarterback, he's got a long way to go before I think anybody gives him another chance. Uh and so on. I wrote in The Athletic after the release. I didn't write so much about Dwayne Haskins, but I did write about Ron Rivera. And I hope everybody has a chance to go read it. And of course, read all my you know, my work there and my colleagues' work um, over there. Not just, of course, on the Washington football team, but all the sports in town. And my basic take that I'll just sort of mention here briefly is Ron Rivera arrived, as, as any new coach does, with he inherits whatever whatever the situation is. And since Ron Rivera isn't just the coach here, he's effectively running the front office, he inherited even a bit more. There was the Trent Williams holdout. Um, he soon would get uh, Quentin Dunbar wanting a new contract. He later down the line had to deal with Darius Geis. I'm not even getting into all the business side of things, the, the name change or um, uh, you know, everything was going on this summer with regards to racial inequality in this country. I'm just simply, just in terms of the football, football things. Ron Rivera had to deal with a lot, as often new coaches do, but he had more in play because of the fact that he was running the show. And one by one, he made decisions and kind of moved on. Yes, there's still some choices here. I mean, you know, Brandon Scherf's got a new deal to come up. Ryan Kerrigan is a free agent. And of course, Alex Smith, what happens with him? There's plenty of things. But but Ron Rivera, one by one, dealt with the, the matters. He told Williams and Dunbar, I need to know you before I give you a new contract. Trent Williams said this as much when we uh, talked to him before the San Francisco game and Rivera made those moves. The Dwayne Haskins was the Dwayne Haskins was the last hurdle. He was, it was the last issue that he inherited that, that, that he had yet to truly resolve, right? The Kerrigan and, and things like Scherf that's been resolved. There, there's no issue there. It's just standard operating procedure. Will you give this player an extension or a contract after the year or not? Dwayne Haskins was a much larger issue because of the fact of what he represented the first round pick that he was a choice of the owner this is not new information 
I've reported this. Others have as well previously. I wrote uh, during the season about how Dan Snyder picking Dwayne Haskins simultaneously essentially screwed over two coaches, Jay Gruden, who was needing to win last year to have any hope of keeping his job, and Ron Rivera inheriting this problem and having to deal to deal with this. Um, just to go back to the Jay Gruden thing for a minute, or just sort of how things were a year ago, uh, my, my, my pal Les Carpenter had a story in the post today with regards to the... Um, uh, to the Jay Gruden uh, uh, situation there. You know, what, what What I was told at the time, and I've heard so many times since, is that, you know, Dan Snyder was pushing for Dwayne Haskins. You can maybe say optimistically he was doing it because of what he did at Ohio State, but there was also this notion that Dwayne Haskins uh, attended the same private school, Bullis High School in Potomac, Maryland, that, uh, that Dan Snyder's son did. You do that what you want, but the larger point is, People in the building on the football side did not want to draft Dwayne Haskins with the 15th pick. If he was there in the second round, maybe they would consider it, but that wasn't that that was not what they were looking to do. Uh, multiple people on that in that side of the building did not want this. Dan Snyder did. Dan Snyder was the owner. Dan Snyder got his way. Did that lead to consternation and frustration on the Jay Gruden side of things? I think that's a fair assumption. And I've having talked to people. Uh, who were part of that staff and part of the organization. I mean, I think that's exactly uh, the way to, to, to frame it. I think they were viewing Haskins. It, it wasn't just obviously Washington needed a quarterback, but they had designs elsewhere. I think Montez Sweat was the guy that they were looking at with the 15th pick. They obviously were able to then later trade into the back of the first round with, to get with the, to get the 26th pick from the Colts, but that cost them their 2020 second round pick. So Ron Rivera didn't have that. They were able to get Sweat, um, we're able to get sweat sweat later. Now, the, as far as the Gruden Haskins dynamic, uh, look, uh, I don't. I think they were fine as far as people go. But again, Gruden needed to win, and Haskins. Again, if you're looking at it most optimistically, he's a very inexperienced quarterback, even for a rookie, and that was played out. Uh, that that's what the coaching staff saw. Then on top of it, he's his own struggles in terms of. You know, understanding, like I said, what it takes to be an NFL quarterback. I wrote during the season, this season, that I've been told by multiple sources that there's a mechanism within uh, the building that tracks how often a player puts on tape, more more or less. And that Dwayne Haskins last year, his number was a, a, uh, abysmally low, abnormally low, very, very, very out of whack, especially for that position in particular. Um so this idea that did Jay Gruden, so Dwayne Haskins makes his debut week four at the Giants. Case Keenum is struggling and uh, Haskins gets thrown in and and clearly, you know, at that point he hadn't been practicing much with the first team. Uh, you know, he wasn't giving like, you know, they, they, they had Case Keenum, they had Colt McCoy and so on. And there was this idea that Jay Gruden kind of just threw him in there. I think it's all—it's always sort of been assumed. Les got into it a bit in terms of what people told him that Jay Gruden kind of just threw him in to almost kind of say, you know what, the hell with this. I may get fired this week. I think there was an assumption that Jay Gruden himself thought that this could that that, that game could be it. They they did lose that game and fell to 0-4. We know he didn't get fired until the next week, but it was pretty close. And that he had heard all the criticism that he wasn't using Haskins, that that Haskins should be put more front and center, and. Um, that the idea that he said, all right, screw it. Case Keenum is struggling. Let me just throw Haskins out there. Um, I've heard that for sure. Uh, I've also gotten some pushback on that notion. 
Case Keenum earlier in that week, was his foot was in a walking boot uh, because of an injury. He was able to practice the last two days of the week, but you know he did struggle significantly in that game. And I don't know if the foot was completely uh, in a good in a good space. But regardless, it, the, the larger point to me is less about that Jay, whether Jay Gruden did or didn't do that. It's about that he was put in a ridiculous spot to begin with. If the owner really wanted Dwayne Haskins. Clearly, it didn't work out. But if you really did, the plan should have been you fired Jay Gruden that day. Because to saddle a new coach with this quarterback, this was the point of my story about how Snyder pushing for Dwayne Haskins screwed these two coaches. Um, it's it, it was a very difficult position for anybody like a Jay Gruden to be in. And again, when especially when the quarterback is as in, inexperienced as Haskins was, Relative to even a standard rookie quarterback, uh, you know, the uh, the uh, Daniel Jones, Gardner Minshew's, these guys have played two, three years in college. Haskins started one season. In any event, none of that really matters anymore, but it is a reminder of where things were and maybe still are because Dan Snyder's presence is looming. But by getting rid of Haskins, Ron Rivera showed he has power that we we were told he has power. And it's been it's been flashed in other ways, maybe even including the benching of Haskins earlier in the year. But being able to 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 release Haskins the way he did, I was told that Ron Rivera called Dan Snyder up Sunday night, and they spoke. Actually, I, I, let me rephrase. That. I don't know technically if he called him up, but anyway, they spoke on Sunday night, told him his plans. Snyder said cool, and life moved on. So. I think that's the most important takeaway on some level with the end of this Haskins story is that Ron Rivera has excised the remaining, the issues that he inherited. And now it's all that moving forward, which he has told us time and time again is what for him is important. Stop looking back, move forward. If Washington can win Sunday in Philadelphia, that's going to be absolutely what everybody's doing. But simply by re re releasing Dwayne Haskins, it made it easier for everybody to do that as well all right let's get to it uh two great guests uh we'll start with zach berman we get into a lot about philadelphia where what's the eagles mindset now they're out of they're the only nfc east team that can't win the division um it, it should be noted that their defensive coordinator today jim schwartz uh told philadelphia reporters we have a no hat uh, policy this week by that he means there will not be an nfc another team in our division putting on a hat saying they're the division champs We'll see if he can hold that. That's a Georgetown grad, Jim Schwartz, for the record. Um, we'll see if he can, uh, if his team buys that. I asked Zach about kind of where the mindset of this team is. We got a, little, a few things about Philadelphia because they had a, a crazy year and have an interesting offseason for sure. And then got into this game. What can we expect from the Eagles against Washington? Then Sam Fortier and I, I'll just jump in straight with him about week 17, Washington's quarterback situation, Taylor Heineke, and what do we expect? Plus, I'll ask him, uh, you know, some uh, my, my five questions as well here on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right. So put aside all the Dwayne Haskins drama. There's an actual big game on Sunday that the Washington football team kind of needs to win <laughs> in order to to claim their, its first NFC East title since 2015 and make the playoffs. To do that, they're going to have to go to Philadelphia and win. I don't know if the Eagles are going to what, what the Eagles mindset is at this point, And that's why we have on. Uh, my friend here, Zach Berman, our Eagles insider for The Athletic. Uh, before anything else, Zach, happy holidays. And uh, I guess, even though I'm sure it would have been fun to still have a chance to make the playoffs on your end, at 
least you're about to get off this merry-go-round of this insane 2020 season that it's been nuts for us and nuts for you guys too. Yeah, same to you. Happy holidays to you. And it, it has been an odd year. If, if you had told me going into the season, actually week one in Washington, you know, when I'm driving down there to FedEx Field, that come week 17, I'd be thinking about a potential coaching search, a quarterback controversy during the offseason. I frankly would not have believed you. You know, the foundation of the Eagles had had been their coaching quarterback combination and and, uh, and and both are in question going into week 17 here. Yeah, for sure. And, and look, well, we'll we'll get obviously into the game this week and, and your and, and Zach's perspective on kind of what's been going on around here. But I do want to talk about this sort of what's gone with the Eagles and the NFC East and broadly, because effectively, no matter who wins this division, it's, it has been viewed as a joke all season. Sure. Nobody's going to at best either Washington or Dallas could make the playoffs winning seven games. So that's at least in line with um, some other under 500 teams. But it's also possible the Giants <laughs> get it with six wins and nobody feels great about it, any of these scenarios for sure. What, what, you mentioned your situation with both Carson Wentz flailing and, and all that has now maybe led to Doug Peterson um, possibly in danger. What maybe those, maybe the answer is with those two guys, but what was the biggest issue with Philadelphia this year? Why did things go so wrong when we entered the year with Philly and Dallas being the clear heavyweights in Washington and the Giants being the lightweights. And yet it, to some degree, it almost kind of flipped for most of the year. Yeah, there's a handful of things. I mean, you, you need to start with Carson Wentz, right? Uh, he, he's, he's the franchise quarterback or was the franchise quarterback. And this regression is unlike anything that has been seen, frankly, you know, I, I know in, in Washington, uh, the, the RG three thing can, uh, that comes up, but that, and you know better than me, that was more injury related, I imagine. What's happened to Carson to go from, he's, he's, uh, he's clearly had injuries, but to go from what he was to what he is now without a major injury being the impetus of it. You know, he, he tore his ACL in 2017. That was his MVP caliber year. But even 2018, 2019, when he had a back injury, he had a concussion, but he was uh, at, at worst an average to above average quarterback. And at, at times, a near top of the league quarterback and what he was this year was one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL. So it, it was a confluence of things. Uh, you can talk about maybe the injuries have made Carson a fraction slower. Uh, I don't know if that holds as much water. The, the players are around him, you know, they, they lost uh, Brandon Brooks. They're all, all pro guard during the summer. Lane Johnson, was banged up all year. So the offensive line, they've, they've started 13 different offensive line combinations this year. That could contribute to it. The, the skill players have underperformed. Uh, and then you can look at the, the fact that they picked Jalen Hurts in the second round. Did, did, did that affect Carson mentally? And then there are changes on the coaching staff this offseason, on the offensive coaching staff, and are there too many cooks in the kitchen? But ultimately, it comes down to Carson. His, his, his performance – went down he turned the ball over more he was less decisive uh and and that's been that was the problem and it's why he was benched yeah I mean you, you mentioned if somebody's comparing it to RG3 I mean RG3 had one of the greatest rookie seasons for a quarterback of all time but then the injury including at the end of the rookie season played a factor but that was kind of it everything else that followed was a, yeah. a, a, a weaker version of that Carson Wentz has had you know the previous four years he's, he's, his stats are pretty, you know, pretty impressive. Four thousand yards just last year with, with twenty-seven touchdowns, seven picks. So to have multiple seasons at a pretty good level to regress that much—that really is 
so weird. It's one thing to be like, well, you can't win the big game. Okay, that's yeah, that's one thing. <laughs> but to, to to the point of like not even sure what could happen. And now, of course, you get Jalen Hurts, and obviously Washington fans are going to be interested in what to make of him because if they're going to, you know, this idea that Philly is going to roll over because this is what people say. Well, the team's out of the playoffs; they have nothing to play for. They're not even going to try. I, you know, if, if football players are going to go out on the field, I think they're going to try because it's it's hard to go out there or not. But the, but Jalen Hurts for him, this is all still new for him. He's going to go out there and do his thing. So the question is, how scared should? What have you seen from him? Like sort of both big picture in terms of what Philly might think going forward, and what do Washington fans kind of need to know about him in this odd situation where Philly, in theory, doesn't have anything to play for? Sure. Well, for, first off, I, I would say that in the 15 games when the Eagles have been trying, they've only won four of them, right? They're four terms and one. So, so this isn't, you know, th- this isn't a powerhouse that that Washington's facing, regardless of the fact that the Eagles have have nothing to play for in terms of the playoffs. Uh, but there is, I mean, there is a sense of pride. You know, you heard what JJ Watt said last week. They they are professional football players, and uh, and then there are younger players still being evaluated and. And Jalen Hurts being one of them, right? This is uh, this is a big question going into the offseason. Who's the Eagles' quarterback in 2021? And it's it's I I mentioned it earlier. It, it's unthinkable to imagine this this is where they would have gotten to, considering the status that Wentz had in the organization. But Hurts Hurts has shown some positive signs in these three starts. It's a different offense with the way he moves the ball, or, or I should say, with the way he moves. Uh, he's been willing to throw downfield more. He has a connection with some of these young receivers. Uh, the offense has been better during these past three weeks. So uh, that's, that's, that's one thing to watch out for. This is a different team than what Washington has seen in the past, you know, five years they played the Eagles because Jalen Hurts just provides a different dimension. Um, and then they, you know, there are still young players on the offensive side of the ball who are being evaluated, who, who need to finish the season strong. Uh, so I would pay attention to that. And then on on defense, you know, the secondary is a mess, but uh, that defensive line still one of the it's still one of the best defensive lines in football. So uh, the Eagles don't have anything to play for, per se. But if you were worried about some of the players on the Eagles roster a week ago, you'd still be worried about them today. Right. Um, l- l- let me transition off that slightly in the sense of this idea of getting a sense of, wh- of whether a team is how a team is mentally prepared for that for any given week. And there are times when, you know, this obviously year has been insane because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And for us specifically, it's largely meant no, no locker room access. So sure. I assume you guys are in the same, but we are, it's all Zooms, it's all we get. Yep. And for us, no matter what's happened, the players have, we've been, I don't think we've had one player all year that has come out and said anything inflammatory. It's largely, and part of that is, I think, credit to Ron Rivera here. They, he's gotten the players to buy into his message. But also, is it's just a weird dynamic. They're, they're talking to us on Zoom to some degree is like doing a television interview, and they tend to always sure. be on their better behavior in that front. So the idea of, like, what people have asked me, like, say, with Dwayne Haskins, did he lose the locker room, you know, at various points of the year? I can't honestly answer that. I mean, if I, yeah. if I, if I hit up a player on the side or somebody and somebody tells me that, okay, but, like, I can't organically tell you that the way we may have been able to tell before because of body language you're just watching how people interact so for you what's been that challenge not necessarily just right now but over the course of the year with an Eagles team that has had so many ups and downs how how challenging has it been or maybe it hasn't gauging where this team is at any given moment sort of emotionally because you're not 
you're not with them. That's a great point. Uh, you you really hit it on the head. It's it's what you said, and it's not it's not necessarily the inflammatory quote or the polarizing quote. It's it's more just getting a sense of the mood of the team, what's happening in the locker room. You know, when when you're in that room three four days a week, um, you you know four days a week in game day, you you uh, you start to 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 get a sense of how they're feeling, how they're doing. Um, what's, what's weighing on a player, uh, what's affecting, you know, and, and different dynamics in the room. Right. Uh, and it's, it's, it's not always reflected in, in, in the, in the quotes per se, but you reflected in your coverage and yeah, that you, we don't have the exposure to that, that we would in a typical year. Uh, so some of it is, is kind of based on knowing the personalities of the team, but, um, you know, I, I, I am a little hesitant to say that the team thinks X or this is what the problem is because you're not having some of those conversations and, and you're not as observational as you would be when you're in there every day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for, 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 for sure. Um, in terms of Sunday, I would imagine though, that there may be some players who, because of their nursing injuries or they, or maybe the team wants to look at some younger players or whatever, there could be some guys that are maybe normally playing who may not be or have a limited role. We're talking on a Tuesday. So typically, you know, Wednesday is the, uh, I assume you guys are on the same schedule. Wednesday yep. is the first injury report and the first day you kind of get a sense yep. of things like that. But any idea right now, are there any players maybe to keep an eye on from the Washington perspective that, that may or may not be uh, in the lineup or maybe have a larger role because they're a younger yep. player there? I, I would really pay attention to Jordan Maialata. Uh, they're starting left tackle. He, he suffered a, or he's in the concussion protocol um, after the Cowboys game last week. And if he doesn't go, uh, the Eagles are really thin uh, on offensive tackle. They already are, you know, Andre or, or, or Jordan Maialata is basically their third or fourth option this year, right? That, that they've, that they've gotten down to. It was supposed to be Andre Dillard. It was then Jason Peters. Um, and, you know, now it's Maialata. So, uh, so that's, that's an, uh, an important injury to monitor. Um, and then there are guys who are, uh, who are banged up, but as, as far as sitting veterans, I don't necessarily think they'll do that. Um, frankly, it, it's in the case of some of their highest profile veterans take, you know, take Jason Kelsey, their starting center, one of the best centers in the NFL. Um, they, there's, there's kind of a annual speculation. Is he going to retire? Is he going to be back? So you don't know, is, is this the last time he plays in, a, in an Eagles uniform? You don't know that, you know, he's, he's a very prideful individual. I, I can't imagine he would sit just because they're out of playoff contention uh, on the defensive side of the ball. Um, well, as, as far as one veteran who's, who's, who was injured to really monitor Fletcher Cox, you know, he's, he's their defensive centerpiece left last week with a neck injury. It's been bothering him. Uh, it, or he, it, it was, it was called a stinger but he missed practice last week, all, all week with, with the neck injury. So if he's not out there uh, because they're nursing the injury, because he's a, he's a, a $100 million defensive tackle, um, that would be a, that would have a major effect on the defense. But then elsewhere, I, I don't see them, you know, sitting Brandon Graham because he's a veteran. I don't see them sitting Darius Slay because he's a veteran. So uh, I, I, I don't think they're going to sit veterans to play younger players. But just because of the way the season's gone, a lot of their high-profile players or some of their high-profile players are already on the bench. Um, I, I want to ask you about what, what you think of Peterson uh, going forward. But before that, you once upon a time, you worked in these parts. And yep. uh, 
you know, you obviously you cover a team in this division, so you're aware of what goes on here. And, you know, we said every, it's been a crazy year for you guys with, with your quarterback and your coach and just the season just unfolding in a very disappointing way. But I, I think it's fair to say that uh, it's hard to compare anything that's been going on around the league to what's happened here over the course of the year. Absolutely. I'm, just, yeah. I'm just curious from your perspective as somebody who's you know, paying at least some attention. Yeah. <laughs> what have you been thinking? I mean, even at the moment we're talking, just yesterday they released – Dwayne Haskins, who week one beat the Eagles with a performance. You're like, oh, well, he was efficient. The defense had a lot to do with it that day, but he was efficient. That seemed like a good sign. And here we are before they play again. He's not even on the team. Pick that or pick anything else that's happened. What's been your view from Philadelphia as to what the hell has been going on around here? Yeah, mainly it's it's been watching Ron Rivera and, and seeing uh, what he's trying to build, how he's trying to build it, and and – and you and your listeners know this much better than me, but just, you know, from, from a uh, being down in that market for a few years and then just following them, it's, it's, it's rare to see a coach with that type of autonomy, right? Like when I was down there, uh, Mike Shanahan was, was at the beginning of his tenure, but even then, you know, Bruce Allen was still in the building. Um, so, uh, uh, so for, for, uh, I, I guess seeing the amount of control Ron Rivera has and and how he's implementing that that has been interesting to observe and and then the other thing too is is just you you look at who are the building block players for this team you know if, if you're if, if we're planning on covering the nfc east for the next however many years uh who are the players you're always going to pay attention to on washington and i think when you see that defensive line um that's what really jumps out to me and every time i'm either watching cross opponent film because the Eagles haven't played Washington since week one. So, uh, you know, the only time I'm really seeing Washington is, is when they're playing a, a team that the Eagles are playing and that defensive line just, just jumps out every time. And, and uh, like you, you see the importance of drafting Chase Young with the number two overall pick. And those, the, those years when they keep taking a defensive lineman, it's, it's paying off because that's a difference making group right there. Um, yeah, that defensive line, I mean, that first game of the year, they really, you know, ravaged Phillies, but you guys had such a beat up line and most of the year, it kind of, I always look back at that as like, it felt like more of an outlier, like, all right, they did really well against a line that was decimated, but the last few weeks, they really put it together more and more. And Chase Young has obviously turned into, if he's you know, selected to the Pro Bowl, but he's, he's already clearly one of the better linemen in the league. And it's really going to be interesting to see what, um, what that group has going forward. Uh, last question, I guess, for you is, so speaking of going forward, you mentioned Doug Peterson. I mean, it seems crazy. How many years what, what, How many years ago did they win the Super Bowl? Two? In, in 2017, so three seasons ago. Right, the Philly special and all that. So it wasn't yeah. that long ago, but I guess obviously yeah. in the world of the NFL, even just a couple of years, you know, can, can seem like uh, forever. And, you know, it's interesting when a coaching staff, you put together a coaching staff and things go well. Then when you go well, you start to lose some pieces. And when those pieces go away, we see in New England, the pieces leave. Belichick is still there. Nothing changes. I mean, prior to this year, finally, after two decades, I'll give them a pass. But obviously some things have changed. So I guess from your take, how much of whatever has happened is that Doug Peterson was getting propped up, ah, propped up as maybe too strong, but like he was being helped by these pieces that have now gone away or how much is it just look, weird thing happened this year. He's a good coach and they should kind of keep him going forward. It's, it's really the central, it, it, I guess one of the central questions here in, in Philly and, and the dilemma that I think Jeffrey Lurie, the team owner 
is is or I, I guess will decide between is uh, do you look at the body of work, which is uh, five years, one Super Bowl, three playoff appearances, uh, two NFC East uh, championships, right? Uh, versus what's clearly been a, a downward trajectory for this franchise. Uh, they're, they're four wins right now. They have a losing record since the Super Bowl. Um, and, and, and so which of, of those two do you lean toward? Uh, because the body of work should matter. If, if Doug Peterson's fired, he wouldn't be out of work long if, if he doesn't want to be out of work long. He, he'd, he'd be one of the top coaching candidates. It's, it's hard to find a Super Bowl winning coach who's brought his team to the playoffs three or five years. Um, so uh, I, I think Doug has, has a lot of outstanding coaching qualities. I think that for whatever reason, there's, there's been this growing um, on-field disconnect between Peterson and Carson Wentz, right? So uh, whatever – the Eagles have, have done off, off offensively, whether it's, it's, uh, it's Carson having too much influence, whether the system doesn't work well enough for him, how, how, however you want to look at it. The Eagles offense looks different when Carson Wentz is not in the lineup. So either that, that speaks to Carson or that speaks to Doug. And I, I think the Eagles are, are going to have a decision to make. Do they, uh, do they go with their franchise quarterback and try to build a different infrastructure around him to fix him? Or do they look at, at Doug Peterson's success, uh, move on from Carson, uh, and and trust that that their coach can make it work with a different quarterback, just like he won the Super Bowl with Nick Foles? Uh, or or do or do they make a a clean sweep with with uh, you know in terms of getting rid of both of them, or do they keep both of them, run it back, and 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 try to fix it? Um, so I, I know that's a long way of saying that. I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, the Eagles don't, you know, I, I think there's, there's so much at stake here and what complicates it is the quarterback situation. Usually, you know, it's, it's pretty clear that, uh, you know, the coach is the problem or the quarterback's the problem. I, you know, it's, it's hard to say which it's hard to say which one it is right now. And the organizational commitment in terms of dollars to Carson Wentz complicates it too. So it's going to be a very busy week next week in Philadelphia. Yeah, I mean, it is fascinating. I mean, Carson, I mean, it's, it, it almost feels from the outside, it may be one of these situations where Carson Wentz's salary cap situation makes it seem as like from, uh, impossible yep. to get rid of him. And yet, therefore, maybe the easier move as well, we bring in a new coach to fix that. But like you said, getting rid of Doug Peterson, uh, yeah, he's, he'll be hot, immediately hired by somebody exactly. else if he wants it. So is that, is that the right move? Uh, yeah, it'll be fascinating to see. Uh, how that unfolds, uh, not just for you guys, but, you know, as a, as a team here that at least feels that they're ascending regardless of what happens sure. on Sunday, you know, the, they think they're in position to contend for the NFC East, but obviously Philly in theory will be there as, as well. Um, go follow Zach on Twitter at Z Berm. Uh, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, happy holidays to you and yours. And like I said, I, I'm, I'm sure you'd rather be covering the playoffs than not, but I'm slightly jealous that you maybe at least get to <laughs> walk away from, from all this and, uh, you know, put your feet up for a minute at some point here and uh, dive into the off season. Yeah. Hoping that, uh, hoping there is an off season and I, you know, I, I don't know what it's going to look like with combine owners meetings, but look forward to uh, look forward to some uh, normalcy returning at some point. Yeah. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. Now we're going to talk about the actual Washington football team doing that. One of my colleagues on the beat who, who just had a ding. What was that? Uh, it was a toaster. Sorry. Oh my God. Oh, where you make this is a uh, Sam Fortier from the Washington Post. Another end.
Wait, so I'm imagining when I hear a toaster from a young guy, it's like Pop-Tarts. Uh, it's just like a piece of toast, but I, I appreciate that. And, and, I, and I made some uh, lemon poppy seed bread the other day, so there's, there's a slice of that in there too. You actually made lemon poppy seed bread? Yeah, my, my mom is, is like a chef. So she made it a lot and she made it uh, for Christmas. So definitely had to, uh, had to replicate. So you, so you have cooking skills because I believe I, I, I'm, I'm not, uh, not positive, but I believe that's, that, that goes over well on the dating circuit. If you can actually uh, show you can actually prepare a meal, that, that, that goes a long way. I would not say that I have cooking skills. I, I would say like, you know, like most other people i feel like in their young 20s i make like chicken and rice and a vegetable every once in a while if that so if that qualifies like i'll definitely take it but i don't want to oversell it no i hear it well i mean it's sort of like you know it's like it's not you know sometimes you just need somebody who can be functional at quarterback and do the plays but once in a while can they can they have some flair and on third and eight when the pocket collapses roll out and make it and make a make a play on the move that that's what we're talking about if you have a skill or two or when you know when you need to show off that you can do a little bit more than just be a game manager, that that that's what we're talking about. And if you can, you know, get an A on your differentials and numbers and math and nature final, that that's a plus too. I would imagine, just hypothetically yeah. speaking. Hi- hypothetically, seriously, like when 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 Taylor Heineke told us this courses, I think we were all kind of going, all right. I, I don't remember how it was even asked, but I guess somebody has asked what he's taking, and I assume. I had actually no thought, but like, you know, in general, what the jock is going to tell us, he's taking the basic stuff, which was fine. I didn't take exactly high-end classes either as a uh, sociology slash journalism major. And then he's like dropping these courses. I didn't even know. I did. I, at this minute, I don't even understand what, what they mean. What, what, what did we know what his major is? So he didn't say what his major was, but we know that he was an engineering major the first time he was there. So, and, and when you talk about math and nature, to me, that's like, I'm building bridges or something, you know, <laughs> like, uh, so, so I think that that's probably what his, what his focus was. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I was reading a study once or reading a story about Urban Meyer's Ohio State teams and Florida teams about, you know, how he would enroll guys early. They were, you know, child and family studies majors or, or, you know, physical education majors or, or, you know, just kind of like 70% or something were, were, you know, you hate to call them non-intensive majors, but, but non-intensive majors. And then, you know, he starts dropping that and I was like, all right, Taylor Heineke, like I see you. Yeah, no, for, for, for sure. And it's of course amazing that we just spent any time <laughs> talking about Taylor Heineke because his word, his, his name was not mentioned in these parts other than to say at one point, he was added to the practice squad and now he's on the roster. But other than that, there was no reason to discuss it. And now we're, we're mentioning it because he may literally be the starting quarterback Sunday at Philadelphia with a chance to win the NFC East. It is beyond preposterous. Um, I believe you wrote about him. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I wrote about him on Sunday and just kind of what, you know, kind of what he brings to the team. And I think that honestly, Ron Rivera had a pretty good encapsulation when they first signed him and kind of giving his little scouting report he said, this guy is a gunslinger. And I think that's what we saw uh, on Sunday. And I think that kind of the thing that typifies that is a guy who comes in, hasn't played an NFL game in more than two years. The last time he was on a football team, he was a backup in the XFL. And Chase Young runs out and says, hey, you know, like just to get him fired up. And he's, according to Chase Young, he says, don't worry, bro. I got you. This is what I do. 
And I was like, wow. And then Chase Young said, wow, like this guy has some swag. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable. And, you know, that's the thing. Like, I love the gunslingers as my backup quarterback. Um, I mean, Kyle Allen, I think, has a little bit of that. That's why Ryan Fitzpatrick is so interesting. I mean, he's always a quasi starter, but like the guy who can come in off the bench and he has the mentality that I'm not afraid of what's going to happen. Like, eh, we'll see what happens. I'm not saying I'm we'll win but we have an opportunity to move the ball because I'm not going to be afraid. And that is exactly what you want out of a backup. Now, is that what you want out of your starter in week 17 with all at stake when he hasn't started a single game since 2018 he, last week in the fourth quarter was the only snap he's taken. No, that's not ideal, but we'll have to see. I'm not even going to ask you whether you think he'll do well, but you can say if you want, because to, to offer any real opinion on him, I think would be, to me seems like, crazy because we don't know I don't I'm not taking what he did at the end of that game meaning a ton uh the, the backup quarterbacking is always weird for the defense what, what what was Carolina's mentality after Haskins is out they're all they're also um off by two touchdowns you know do they or how much are they laying back on defense and all that kind of stuff but he did look interesting obviously it all comes down to whether Alex Smith is even going to be available to go I guess there's some optimism that he will but uh, on, on the on Alex Smith's leg I'm not assuming anything um at, at, at this point uh but yeah I mean it's it's it can't be overstated enough that in a year of so much craziness for this team that really it's coming down to either a the guy who was taking online courses starts the game or b the guy who had 17 surgeries that I certainly thought would never play again no matter what they were trying to tell us these are the two quarterbacks who will be playing on Sunday and that's where the season comes down to it's unfreaking real it is unbelievable and I think when we talk about both of those guys and we talk about the, the gunslinger mentality, that's obviously been on Ron Rivera's top of mind. I think that, you know, as a fan and even as a reporter, you think to yourself, why is Taylor Heineke, you know, the guy they go to instead of Steven Montez, the undrafted free agent who's been on the practice squad all year. And I thought it was really interesting that Ron Rivera would point out that when they walked into the stadium, I don't remember which stadium it was, but they walked into a game and he saw Steven Montez's eyes get kind of big and he thought he, he looked a little overwhelmed by the moment. And so, you know, just a coach noticing that and saying, okay, you know, we're going to stay away from him taking his first NFL snaps, uh, you know, in a, in a game of this consequence, I thought was, was really interesting. And I think you're right. Taylor Heineke, small sample size against soft coverage against a team trying not to blow it is, is probably not what you want to base your opinions for the future on. But I do think it was noticeable how much cleaner, he could get through his reads, how much, you know, smoother the offense looked with him. You know, he took those deep shots to Cam Sims, to Logan Thomas up the seam, uh, but he still was able to get those checkdowns to J.D. McKissick. And, and even when the checkdown didn't work on that 29-yard touchdown, he extended the play with his legs and let J.D. McKissick uh, get down the left sideline for a touchdown. So obviously it's tough to, to read too much into what he did, but at the same time, you got to say, you know, at least he looked – you know, put together. And I think that um, if Alex Smith doesn't go, you can't feel super confident, but you got to at least uh, you got to at least give him props for what he did. Yeah. I mean, obviously most of, most of the Dwayne Haskins conversation has been in connection to the incident last week where he's caught partying without a mask. And that's led to then what, what, where we got this past week where he just didn't, you know, forget the fact that he was inaccurate with throws. We've seen that before. Um, forget the fact they weren't scoring points and we kind of, you know, the, the offense has struggled with him, but he just looks so uncomfortable out there. The, the, the jump passes, you know, all so much of the year, he has not been able to throw the ball just simply down the field. And I know what I've written about, maybe even have asked questions and you probably have as well about 
asking Scott Turner or Ron Rivera, have you been dialing back the playbook when, when Haskins comes in? Now I'm assuming they didn't just completely change the playbook in the moment when Tyler Haneke comes in, yet he looks like what it's supposed to look like. I mean, it doesn't matter whether he's uh, Peyton Manning or just a guy, but like it looked like what it's supposed to look like. What happens from there is a different story. And I think that's like going back to with Kyle Allen, they ultimately were just like, look, forget everything else. We just want the offense to look functional. When we call a play and the receivers are open, we want somebody who in theory is going to get the ball there. And part of Dwayne Haskins' problem was it just never looked comfortable ever. And we'll have plenty of time in the offseason if anybody wants to anymore to dissect all the reasons as to why that was. But yes, I mean, I think if nothing else, Heineke, his presence was like, oh yeah, this is what it's supposed to look like versus what it wasn't. And you know, I, I'm, I don't know where you were about that fact that Dwayne got released and how surprising it was, but I, I can just imagine from the coaching perspective, they're just like, oh my God, like just, just for the football, like, no, this just looks so weird. We're, 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 we're over this. The thing I think we have to keep in mind is that this offense has a ceiling, even when things go really well. They probably don't have a true number two wide receiver. I know Cam Sims has flashed, but, um, without Terry McLaurin defenses, as Ron Rivera said, we're, we're really keying uh, on the underneath stuff. So I think that, that, and Ron Rivera even said earlier this year, this offense won't look how it's supposed to until at least early 2021, uh, because they just don't have the weapons. So I think that when, when we talk about, you know, the limitations of this offense, obviously poor quarterback play uh, is a big part of it, but also, you know, you got to imagine, you know, here are the pieces you're working with and, and really to, to maximize it, to get at least the best that you can. I think that's what the strength of Alex Smith is in the sense that, you know, okay, here are the parts I'm given. I can at least maximize them. Right. No, a hundred percent. I mean, it's not like Alex Smith when he's been out there, or even Kyle Allen were, you know, Pro Bowl, probably at some Pro Bowl level, but they were effective and efficient. And one thing we've learned from the beginning of the year was there are more pieces in place on offense with with beyond Terry McLaurin, Antonio Gibson, obviously, is, is Flores, J.D. McKissick's been uh, solid for sure. Logan Thomas has had, obviously, some monster games. And Cam Sims can, can get you that long play here and there. So it's not that they don't have stuff. You just need to get them to get them to that stuff. Um, without getting in, I guess I have to touch on the Haskins stuff just a little bit since this is the first podcast I've done since, since the release. Um, uh, when, when Ron Rivera was talking to us a couple hours before the release happened and he made a comment uh, to the question of like, what, what happens now with, with Dwayne? And he made some comment about sometimes changes for the best. I immediately like transcribed that quote and tweeted it out in part because it was interesting. Did I think he was going to do that in the next two hours? Not necessarily, but like it was like I mean I'd already long assumed Dwayne Haskins was not part of the future, so uh, that part was interesting to me. But what it, what did you make? I guess of sort of the way Rivera sort of handled that that he already knew. I was told by Sunday night that he was cutting Haskins, but that he sort of talked about him the way that he did, and then makes the move a couple hours later. Yeah, to me, in retrospect, it sort of felt like there was a there was a calm on Monday at that press conference that I did not expect. And that I think was indicative of he knew the situation would be over soon because, you know, the week before he had, you know, kind of that, that uh, outburst um, about, you know, he didn't want to talk about Dwayne anymore. And I think right. that even, you know, when we asked about Dwayne earlier in the season, there just, there's, it felt like there was always friction. There was always, 
you know, something wasn't being done or, or there was some sort of tension there. And I think that what we saw at that Monday press conference was a byproduct of, of Ron Rivera coming to some finality with the situation and, and ultimately deciding to move on. Um, I think to me, it was surprising that they did it this week. Um, I was actually talking to my colleague, Nikki Javala before, <laughs> you know, before this happened and we were talking like, Hey, do you think it could happen? Because obviously it was going to happen, but it was like, Hey, could, could it happen this week? And I actually said, I didn't think it would because I thought this would be a distraction before, you know, the biggest game of the year something that Ron wants to talk about. You know, the last thing I thought he would want to talk about is, is Dwayne Haskins and his decision um, to move on. But obviously, you know, he felt that it was too pressing of an issue. There was too much baggage there to keep him even one day longer. And, and, and while surprising um, in the moment, I think once you step back and appreciate, Hey, there'd been, a, it seems like a lot of problems throughout the year that, that were just not corrected. Um, I think in, in total, in, uh, in whatever that word is, totalitarian or whatever, uh in totality there we go uh it's it was not surprising right right i agree i mean at the end of so like i don't know where you where you stood on the week before this idea that you know rivera uh, you know compromised his uh culture talk by keeping Dwayne or not suspending him and using him versus the idea of um you know, instead of just, well, he's not playing and because and that, that's what I've been talking all year. I was on the side of, look, if if Dwayne Haskins was a player that had a future here and Rivera made that decision, then I think you can make the claim that this is a problem because you've, you're, 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 he's now a constant reminder of what you're of, of something you let somebody kind of get away with. Dwayne Haskins was not staying here. It, that did not change just because of the performance the other day. He was gone. And Dwayne, I think Rivera looked at the situation like, well, I have a couple options. I can just cut him now and move on with life. Does that help my team win this week? Probably not because I don't have no idea what to make of these other quarterbacks if Alex is going to play. Or I can just use this kid more or less for the rest of the season and we'll see what happens. I, I'm not excited. He hasn't been great, but he was at least decent in the end of the Seattle game. He told us the reason why he didn't go with, uh, he didn't make the quarterback switch immediately at halftime was because Haskins has gotten better as the Seattle game went along. So I think he... I have no issue that Rivera kept Haskins there and simultaneously have no issue that he decided that this was enough because obviously so much distraction. I, I, I am curious if any of the things that happened post game with the zoom with us where Dwayne Haskins was not available. He apparently declined according to what PR told us initially that he declined to talk, even though the starting quarterback is supposed to, then it was this whole drama. He's, he's not around. They can't find him. Then he comes back. I imagine if you're Ron Rivera and you even hear any inkling of this, you're like, okay, I'm a, I've had enough. We don't, we don't need all this, but regardless, I didn't have a problem with what he did last week and didn't have a problem with what he did now. Yeah. I, I think the week before to me, it sort of fit in the framework of the idea that Ron presented when he benched Dwayne initially. Um, obviously he talked about the NFC East and everything, but the thing that really stuck out that one of the consistent themes of what he said afterward uh, was that he wasn't going to put one guy above 52 and and to me him keeping Haskins and thinking you know clearly he thought that Taylor Heineke could not do what he did on Sunday and he did not think Steven Montez was ready for the role to me him excusing Dwayne's behavior was I'm not going to punish the 52 guys who've been pushing for the postseason by going with a drastically worse quarterback uh you know because Dwayne did something selfish and dumb I think that 
you know, obviously once he sees Taylor Heineke can ball, I think that that makes uh, Dwayne expendable. And, and though it's probably uncomfortable or callous to think like that, that's the reality of the situation. And so once you feel like, hey, if we have to go with Taylor Heineke or we feel good enough about Alex that we feel like he can definitely start this week, then at that point you say, what is the point of, of keeping someone on our team who, who is a distraction or detracting from the locker room? Yeah, uh, uh, absolutely. All right, so uh, Ben Sandig here, Sam Fortier with the Washington Post is with me at Sam4TR. Uh, we're going to talk about what we think is going to happen on Sunday in a second, and I have the, the random questions that uh, I'm sure Sam is on the edge of the seat for. But uh, I, I always like, like I, my goal with this podcast is not just to talk about the Washington football team because I grew up here and I like talking about the other teams. So I, I'm, when I did the various versions of a podcast before, I always like talking to other writers about covering uh, different beats because I have historically had covered a lot of different uh, teams and you were in an interesting position you last year got to cover the Washington Nationals going to the World Series and obviously you can't get better than that I mean they obviously struggled earlier in the year but their struggles I think were more very garden variety team struggles they're just not hitting not pitching whatever and eventually things worked out they didn't have <laughs> the litany of issues that have happened here simultaneously what's happened then you come over here now this team has turned into a, a kind of a feel-good story despite this Dwayne Haskins stuff despite the Dan Snyder ownership stuff you have Ron Rivera's uh, journey this year you have the Alex Smith comeback and these guys have largely been fun but in totality this thing has been a disaster and it's been a challenge to say the least. So I'm just curious, how do you, as a, as a reporter, how do you sort of compare the two journeys that you've had last year is somewhat of a magic carpet ride all the way to a world series. And this year, the roller coaster where it's been going all over the place day to day, week to week. Yeah. I think with the nationals, you know, I was in Milwaukee uh, right before they hit 19 and 31, when they were injured, when they weren't pitching, when they were having to fly guys in from Fresno and they would get there at 5 a.m. and, you know, have to pitch that day or something like that. And, and that was a, a beaten down ball club at the time. And I remember, you know, walking through the clubhouse after they got swept and it was just a very somber scene. I almost like, you know, as someone who was new on the beat, it's like, I don't, I don't, you know, it, it, it was definitely uncomfortable. Um, and then you're right. Once they started turning it around in July and, you know, baby shark happens and Max Scherzer, you know, breaks his nose. And it, it's just, it felt like one thing after another was just adding to the mythology of that team. There were certainly, I, I, you know, my definition of off the field distractions has certainly changed because back then I thought that, um, you know, Max Scherzer being scratched from game five of the world series, you know, three hours before was, you know, was a distraction or, uh, you know, the Astros clubhouse incident, um, with, with the, uh, with Brandon Taubman, the employee who, uh, yelled about the, um, female re reporters in the locker room. Um, you know, those were things that happened during that magic carpet ride, um, that I was like, wow, you know, there, there's so many layers that it's just not even on the field. And then I got here and it feels like this is an exaggerated funhouse mirror version of that. And I think that it's partly because baseball is every day and it feels like you are going through a daily existence with them that it does not feel the same way now. And I don't think that's just because of 
the fact that we're covering them only via zoom and we're not in the clubhouse. Like I was last year. Um, I think everyone, including general manager, Mike Rizzo, including the ownership group, they felt more accessible. You know, I saw them on a, on a regular basis. They felt more, um, they felt more immediate and I could kind of get, get a sense of where they were. I think with the Washington football team, the, you know, the kind of shadowy figure of Dan Snyder and, and the entire um, apparatus that surrounds him and the lawsuits and things that predate my time on this beat by a long time, the history and the weight and the magnitude of each game, because I covered the LA chargers before I covered baseball. And I remember specifically my editor at one point had to tell me like, Hey man, baseball games are not like football games. Like there's a ton of them. Like you can't, if they lose in April, you can't like kill them. You can't, you can't say that this is a huge problem. Like they might've just made one bad pitch. So it was definitely a, a recalibration to come back to football because every game is so important. And, and every week it builds towards the, towards a Sunday in a way that I don't think baseball does. Um, and so, you know, even something as, as simple as, um, you know, that, that chase young late hit against the lions that loses them the game, uh, that allows the, the game winning field goal, you know, that felt like it festered for a while. And it was like, you know, in baseball, chase young goes out and has four at bats the next day. And it's kind of a, a, you know, a thing gone by, but obviously the, the history, the weight, the significance, the magnitude of each moment in football combined with just the specifics of this football team and their ownership group and the name change and everything it just feels like everything is is a little bit bigger of a disaster or bigger of a success yeah no and you, you mentioned the accessibility i know you were around covering the football team at the end of or like they had a different name then <laughs> you were around covering the team at the end of last season and you know i mean we that was already weird we were dealing with an interim coach but you know bruce allen you know, basically talk once or twice a year. We talk to the Washington football team's general manager four times a week because Ron Rivera has all the jobs. So we don't, he doesn't have to go anywhere else. And we, we get to, I mean, you know, he's obviously focused on the moment. We're not asking him about the 2021 draft, but like, you know, the guy who's in charge, as we saw with Dwayne Haskins, yes, he told the owner what he was doing. And, you know, what I was told was, okay, that was it. That was the end of the, the conversation. He didn't have to like talk him into anything. That's very different than how things were before. But yes, the accessibility aspect, you're right. I mean, I would, in the, in the times I would be around the Nats, you know, Mike Rizzo, not that he was talking all the time, but he would be around. He would be in the dugout pregame or, um, you know, he would talk occasionally and, you know, things would happen. And he, with here, the organization, it's, it, the tonally, it's very different with Rivera, not, not even mentioning like Jason Wright does, you know, an interview with any outlet ever. <laughs> Anybody who asks, he's in. Uh, Julie Donaldson, obviously, as well. So it's a very different feel in that perspective. But yes, I mean, you mentioned that this feels like an exaggerated funhouse version. That's the thing about this place. This is the craziest year, I think everybody would say, uh, under the Dan Snyder regime. And yet, it, it you know, uh, it's, 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 uh, this is what, this is what happens here. I think the one thing I would tell people, if you want to have any hope, and I'm not telling you you should, is that Ron Rivera is a different guy. And this Haskins move, I think, does show that he has the power to do this. Now, if, say, next year in the draft, Dan Snyder falls in love with another Dwayne Haskins, does he press it or not? That I'm not convinced that we're out of the, that Dan Snyder is officially out of these decisions. That will be the interesting test, those types of moves. If in free agency, there's an opportunity, I'm making this up, to sign Drew Brees if he's available. Does Dan Snyder say, oh, we're doing that? That I think is going to be a big test, but for the moment, it appears that Ron Rivera 
is uh, is got things under is got things uh, better under control from from like a life perspective. Uh, give me a short answer to this life perspective: baseball or football? It's got to be football, right? Uh, yeah, I think um, definitely. You know, football has a has a more I think manageable work schedule. It's it's maybe the most nine to five. Uh, you know, it, it it theoretically is. It hasn't felt like that. Um, all of this season, but uh, I, I think, you know, the, the built-in drama of, of there is going to be a massively watched TV show every Sunday, and it's going to have all the drama that you couldn't script. Um, you know, I love baseball too. Um, that's personally, it was my favorite sport growing up. That was my favorite sport to play. Um, but in terms of coverage, I, I, you know, I do really like football. Yeah. I, I, I always wanted to cover the NBA more. But from a life perspective, this is way better. <laughs> I mean, it is it is it is a little more nine to five ish. Not that you know, again, not that it has felt like that. And I'm somebody who's on Twitter and work all, all too long. But like, at least the opportunity exists <laughs> if you're one of those people. Um, I've already kept saying longer than I said I would because this is what always happens. But we gotta get through this really quick. So here's the random questions. Are, are, are you ready? I'm ready. Uh, person. Uh, person you wish followed you on Twitter that doesn't uh I don't I don't really I don't really know who follows me on Twitter I don't know if that's weird like I I, I definitely um there's not one off the top of my head but I would probably say um Bo Burnham he's like my favorite comedian growing up like I feel like uh you know, I've watched a lot of his specials. I've seen him live a bunch of times, but, uh, and, and I think he makes really, really great uh, art. So I would say Bo Burnham. Well, that, that's a first one there. What do you mean you don't know who follows you on Twitter? You're not obsessed with every single person where your Twitter follower account is? You're not a reporter? <laughs> I don't understand. This is all, this is like how I spend most of my life is like, wait, who's following me? Who's not following me? Why did that person unfollow me? What's my number? What are they, what are they doing? You got, this is not, you're not doing this? Yeah, you're not I, I, I couldn't tell you how many Twitter followers I have. Sorry, man. Well, now I'm going to look. Uh, hold on. Let's see here. What's your guess? If you're claiming you don't know, uh, I I have I have eight thousand something, but I don't know what the what the actual number is. Eight thousand seven hundred and forty-two. That's not bad. I think I don't know. I I know you and Nikki and other people have way more than me, but oh, well, that's don't compare. I mean, uh, I'm embarrassed. My number versus Nikki or Kime. So no, we're not we're not gonna <laughs> not gonna compare that. No, it's it's all it's it's all good. Look, you're 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 new on the beat. Once the once the football fans figure out the you know what's going on, that you know they'll, they'll, they'll come running. I mean, I they they still. I mean, I I've I, it's taken me a while to get anybody to notice me. So you, you'll you'll be fine. Uh, favorite athlete, your all time favorite athlete. Jason Veritek, former catcher of the Boston Red Sox. Uh, when I was growing up, I played catcher. Uh, definitely that was a part of my password when I got my first computer. Uh, just a, you know, I remember I grew up a Red Sox fan. I remember watching the game live where he shoved Alex Rodriguez in the face. And that was like a big, you know, like Red Sox Yankees. It was the peak of the rivalry. Um, I thought, you know, he was a captain. That was just, that was my, my guy growing up. Uh, and so definitely I have to say he's still still my all-time favorite. Uh, little known fact, at least to the world, I assume, to your 8,752 Twitter followers, you are from New Hampshire. What is a random factoid that we need to know about New Hampshire? Uh, random factoid about New Hampshire. Um, 
it's it's better than Vermont. There's there's a healthy rivalry. <laughs> they have great and they have Ben and Jerry's, than... which I get, but but we have very good maple syrup. I would argue our skiing is is just as good. But uh, I think that uh, you know not a lot of people have met people from New Hampshire, but uh, there's some great hiking there, and and I really you know growing up there, I, I couldn't ask for anything more. I love that's like the rivalry, like we're better than New Hampshire. Like that's, that's, uh, that's tremendous. I, that, 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 that's like the, that's like the bowl game. I want to see New Hampshire against Vermont, like just not, not, not football teams, just States, just going, 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 going at it. Um, I've been to New Hampshire, but it's been a minute. Maybe, uh, maybe, well, maybe during this pandemic and I get, when I start getting stir crazy, I just get in my car one day, just drive in some direction. Maybe I'll get that far. It's any, anything is possible. Um, Alex Smith. They're clearly going to make a Disney movie about this whole story or something like that. And at various points along the season, I've been wondering what's that? I, I mean, obviously the, the real life hasn't ended, but like at various points, okay, if, they, if it's over now, how does the movie end? So let's not for the moment, let's assume for the moment he doesn't play Sunday and this is it, whatever happens. How do they end the movie? Do they end it uh, when he comes back just playing on the, in the game against the Rams and just sort of build up that moment because that was him playing was crazy. Do we get all the way to the Steelers game where they beat an undefeated team? Do, do they make up a version? We see this happen in movies all the time where, you know, the, the, the ending is exaggerated to some degree. How do they end the Disney movie if based on where we're at right now? Well, if you're using the Disney company's recent documentaries as a template, uh, they could just leave off the last few years of his career, a la The Last Dance with Michael Jordan. Um, but I think, honestly, how they should end it would be, you know, truer to life, truer to real form is, is sometimes you can make that push back and, and you can find success and you can play some of the best football of your career. And, and then sometimes it doesn't work out. And I think that if they were being if, if, if the Disney movie was was interested in capturing the humanity of the situation. I think you got to be true to whatever happens. If he misses this last game and Washington loses and doesn't go to the playoffs, that's, that's important. You know, uh, it's important to understand how Alex would deal with that, whether, or if he does come back and if they win and if they go to the playoffs, you know, does he feel some sort of inner peace and decides to walk away? Does he keep playing? I think you have to be, I mean, this is a real, hardo journalist answer and i apologize but i feel like you just got to be true to, to whatever happens yeah i mean i based on where right now i think the steelers game is the last football we see that we cut forward to the offseason and i'm i look i have no idea what he wants to do it doesn't sound like the people in the building do either but my if i had to guess right now i would guess he and his family have a conversation and that conversation leads to him not playing anymore because he's already gone through a lot and they've gone through a lot, and that's at the end of the movie. The, you know, the he looks it looks off into the horizon, and I've already achieved all my goals, or whatever it is. You know, the, the heartfelt moment. You know, he's already done more than he could imagine, and now it's all about the family, and that's all that really matters. Is you know, this journey has made him realize it wasn't about football; it was about the family, something like that. Ryan Gosling. I don't I don't know who's playing Elizabeth Smith. Ryan Gosling is clearly playing Alex Smith. Um, and then we move, uh, maybe it's Elizabeth Banks or somebody. And then uh, that's, they, they have that conversation and then we move, uh, <laughs> we move forward. Um, all right, I have one more question, but you now as the guests are allowed to uh, ask me, you can pick one of the ones I asked you. You can ask some of the football team, but Pete Haley the other day asked me about my college drinking days. What, whatever you got, put me on the spot, your turn. What is the thing that people don't know about you that you think would surprise them? Oh God. Um, 
surprise them. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't think I'm that surprising. I think it's pretty. You can't uh, say I don't know. No, I know. I'm. 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 I'm pondering the answer. I mean, I. I. I so I don't know if it's surprising, but like when I when, when people find out I have a cat, there. I mean, it's immediate. How many people are like, well, why don't you have a dog? Not like, oh, that's cool or whatever. Like, why don't you have a dog? And I'm like, well, I grew up with a cat, so I don't know if that's surprising. But it feels like when you're a guy and you tell people you have a cat, they're like, the hell is that? So does that count? Or is that too late? Yeah, that not I, th- I think that's a good answer. What kind of cat do you have and what's its name? Uh, he's like a standard tabby. His name is Lenny after uh, Lenny Kravitz and Len Bias. Um, <laughs> that's a good one. There you go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, all right, so last question. What the hell happens on Sunday? I'm going to say if Alex Smith plays, even if Taylor Heineke plays, I think Washington will be able to pull it out. Um, the Eagles have struggled to defend the pass this year, and, and I think they have four corners now on IR. Um, they had to start an undrafted free agent there last week. They're allowing the, the fourth best passer rating in the league this year, just above 100. It, it, I, I think I like Jalen Hurts. I think he could be you know a real dude in, in the division for, for a few years to come, but – uh, I just think with, with this defensive line, with, Phil, uh, with Philadelphia's injuries, uh, I don't think they're not going to have anything to play for because I do think that in this division, it's, it's you know, legitimate motivation to spoil another team's, you know, chance at the postseason. Uh, but I just think that Washington is more talented and, and they're going to pull it out. All right. I like it. Did you use dude because that's your vernacular or Chase Young is just in your head now? Uh, I mean, my, my friends and I would say, oh, he's a dude before that, but definitely Chase Young has, has uh, made me say it more. A hundred percent. I said it too much before, and I always made me think of Lenny Dykstra, which I was not a fan of. Uh, but yeah, Chase Young, oh, now I can say dude and just blame it on Chase Young, and I feel better about it. Uh, go read Sam uh, Forty in the Washington Post. Uh, go follow him on Twitter, even though he won't notice that you did. Uh, but go do that anyway. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Many thanks to... Zach Berman and Sam Fortier for their time. That's it for this episode of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Thanks to you, everybody, for checking out the podcast. Many thanks, of course, to you guys uh, for checking out the podcast. You know, I, I was doing a thing, and I'll, and I'll keep doing it, uh, where, where I uh, point out somebody who's kind of helped me along the way since I, a sponsor, as it were, since I don't have a sponsor for the podcast, which is a whole other story. It's a corporate thing. Don't worry about that. But uh, I guess to that end, I just want to say, with that Without you guys, people listening to this podcast and the people who also subscribe to The Athletic, obviously I wouldn't be doing any of this. Same with all my colleagues at The Athletic. With you know, It's up to you guys to show an interest in what we do and to subscribe, to put your, put your hard-earned money down, which I know is not easy ever. And especially in this craziest of years where so much is uncertain and so many people had a really tough time. And, and you know, I can, I think, speak for all of us, but for me directly, thank you so much for that, for, for your interest. Uh, for your support and look forward to much better days in 2021 for sure, because that'll be the next time I'll be talking to you guys after sometime after the Washington Philadelphia game, which is now a night game. Of course, I don't know. I'll be talking to you that night. That'll be a long one, but after that, we will see for sure. Stay safe, be good. Take care of, take care of yourself, take care of each other. The Washington football team is never dull, and I suspect Sunday will be no different, and then we have a lot more to get into after that. So that's it for now. Ben, stay excited. Until next time.